The following podcast includes language my mother strenuously objects to. Hello and welcome to episode 275 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Stateline, Nevada. I'm Nathan Fox with me in Vienna, Virginia, Ben Olson. How you doing, Ben? Oh, I'm doing good. I'm starving. <laughs> starving? Are you doing intermittent fasting? So you well, only I, eat one hour a day or something like that? Yeah, I am. But I, I this was not on purpose. I usually eat by like 11. It's 1.30. I just forgot. That's the oh. thing. If you don't eat breakfast, sometimes, you know, you just don't get hungry. Like the hunger goes away and then I'm like working. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a sec. There's this thing I have to do, but I forgot. So, <laughs> what what is your uh, feeding window? What just what cycle are you on on your intermittent I'm on fasting? A, I'm on a sixteen eight. So 16, eight. I typically like start eating around eleven, stop around seven. Got it. Yep. How long have you been on that? Uh, according to my app, like two hundred days. Wow. Yeah, I was just reading or I listened to a podcast where there was a doctor on talking about all of the seems like crazy health benefits uh, that they suspect intermittent fasting has or fasting period has. Yeah, it was weird. I actually read several books from totally different angles. One was on the keto diet. One was on don't do the keto diet. Hmm. Another was on circadian rhythms. And all of them had one consistent theme. Oh, this might, you might benefit from intermittent fasting. Like what we're talking about here will probably be enhanced by that. It's like, okay, everybody's saying that. So let me do that. Yeah, it does seem to make a lot of sense. Um, the what do they call it? Autophagy. Auto, yeah, mm-hmm. where your where your body basically just starts eating itself, and it starts with like the fucked up shitty cells first. Yep. So that's yep. why they think it prevents cancer because you just like if you have those regular periods where you don't consume any calories, then your body just has to like go through and ruthlessly get rid of the questionable cells <laughs> instead of just continuing to support everything in your body. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. The other kicker for me was the circadian book talked about how one, all these hormones get released when you don't eat, but most people are eating all the hours that they're awake. They may right. not even be aware of it, but they eat when they wake up and they're eating until the minute they go to bed. Right. And so those there's not enough time in the time that you're sleeping for those other hormones to event. Like it takes time for your digestive system to turn off. And then mm. once it turns off, those hormones can start being released, but they're not because okay. there's just not that big of a window. And so people go through their entire life not getting these things that they're supposed to get. And for me, the biggest thing was if you stop eating two or three hours before you go to sleep, then hormones that actually conflict with melatonin can now like dissipate and go away. And for me, I feel like it's helped immensely with my sleep. And, you know, as a kid, I didn't worry about that ever, but now it's like a thing. I have the Zero app on my phone. I've hardly used it. What app are you using for intermittent fasting? Zero. Zero. Yeah. Oh, so you're doing okay. it too. Uh, I have just barely started dabbling. Yeah. Um, I did when I heard that podcast. I immediately did a full twenty four hours. I was just like, "Oh, I had eaten yeah. at one o'clock," and I was yeah. like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll just wait until one o'clock tomorrow." I like ended up forgetting. I didn't even like. I I wasn't. You know, the, the, I you have a million like little impulses to eat. Yeah, but then they go away, kind of. Yeah, because it's just like you yeah. realize. I mean, for me anyway, you know, I realized yeah. that like I'm just eating out of habit. It's just like something mm-hmm. to do. You know. Yeah. Um, and once you stop doing that, you, it's crazy. You like have all this time and you, 
I just <laughs> like, <laughs> what, am, what am I supposed to do? And yeah, I, I forgot. And then I did a, I, I did like the next day, I think I did like a 18, six mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the same thing, like 18 hours yeah. was up and I just like forgot. I, it was like 19 or 20 hours or something before I like did it again. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I'm messing around with it. It's uh, something to do or something to not cool. do, I guess. Yeah. Um, so today on the show, we have a, uh, listener email about admissions people from law schools, uh, aggressively reaching out to try to schedule zoom meetings, uh, before they've even applied. I think that law schools have realized that this is a good sales tool that they should be reaching out, trying to get face to face with people. This is why the world is never going to change, right? Like people <laughs> figured out zoom and now why would you go back? <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's no no way we're going back. Um, in a lot of a lot of things, I mean, certain things yeah. will come yeah. back. I would love to go to a baseball game again someday, you know. But yeah, go uh, out and, and travel. And, yeah, of course, restaurants <laughs> and all that shit. But um, certain things, uh, online education being one of them. There ain't no way. It, it's it's vastly better for so many yeah. different reasons. It's just better online. We have a pearls versus turds on personal statements. Somebody sent in a, uh, a list of things to do on your personal statement. This is a Nebraska law admissions, helpfully uh, sending out a list. So we'll, we'll go through those and give our opinion on whether they're pearls or turds. Mm-hmm. We have a brain teaser suggested by one of our listeners. Uh, I already did the brain teaser back and forth with the listener, but we're going to see if I can stump Ben with the brain teaser. Oh, great. We have a, <laughs> <laughs> we have a, uh, I did figure it out, Ben. So don't be, don't be stressed. Okay. Yeah. That, that helps. Thanks. <laughs> We have a student update of a demon user who went from 148 to 169 and got a full ride to law school. We have our uh, recurring feature on the show, Hills to Die On. I think we might talk about some uh, non-law school or non-LSAT related ones today. I have at least one that I would like to talk about. And then we have a logical reasoning question from Prep Test 65. So don't worry, you're going to get some actual LSAT content in here. This show will air on Monday, December 7th. Uh, That means you have about a month to register for the February LSAT Flex. I really wish they would stop saying LSAT Flex because it's just the LSAT now, but they've got that brand going. It seems like they're never going to stop saying LSAT Flex. And I guess, yeah, we're still about a month away from the January LSAT. You can email the show, help at thinkinglsat.com, if you want to get on our agenda. Uh, we really like hearing from you. So, you know, tell us what you like about the show. Tell us what you wish there was more of, less of. And if you have questions or comments or want to send in your personal statement or whatever, um, help at thinkinglsat.com, please. Um, please uh, also, if you're a listener of the show, find us on iTunes and subscribe. And if you can, write a review it really actually helps us. It's the one thing we can do to outsmart these algorithms is to actually write a few words about the show. Um, so if you want to do us a favor, just uh, say, hey, these guys are good or bad or otherwise <laughs> on <laughs> a review on iTunes. <laughs> Ugly, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, before we get into the content, one more little administrative thing. Um, if you have a fee waiver, uh, if you are fortunate enough to have gotten the law school admission council fee waiver, 
you should email help at lsatdemon.com because you can get uh, the LSAT demon at dramatic, uh, dramatically reduced prices for uh, for 30 bucks. We're going to give you four months worth of demon basic. And uh, the only reason why we have to charge you the 30 bucks is because that's what the LSAC charges us. So we're trying to give it to you demon basic for free if you qualify for the LSAC fee waiver. Also, if you have an LSAC fee waiver, we'll give you 20% off uh, demon premium or live. All right. Ready to do this uh, first email? Yeah, let's do it. Hi, Ben and Nathan. The subject of this email, by the way, is podcast question regarding law school pre-application Zoom meetings. Many law school admission emails and law school reps at the Zoom events keep offering to set up one-on-one Zoom meetings with potential applicants to discuss their individual circumstances or questions and to make their application as strong as possible. They can discuss their individual circumstances or the questions they might have to make their application as strong as possible. If an applicant has any potential weak areas in their application that they need to figure out how to frame, do you think it's a good idea to do these one-on-one meetings to get help with the application? Or will it just alert the admissions team to that weak area of your application? Yeah, this is weird. It's like... It's like going to the uh, other side of your court case and saying, well, I'm worried about this <laughs> yeah, part of my application. Right. Or asking the fox for advice about how to fix your hen house, right? Yeah. Like, are there any security risks here? <laughs> <laughs> like, what I mean, do you think we should do? Here, here yeah. are the keys. Yeah. Um, hmm. uh, I mean, I think I have an easy solution, though, which is, yeah, do do these meetings with schools that you actually don't want to apply to. Yeah. See what they have to say. Get some what of somewhat objective quote unquote objective feedback from someone who's on the other side. That's a great idea. I mean it's and like just looking get experience. at it. Yeah, test drive a car that you know you're not going to buy yep. or like look at a house that you know you're not going to buy just to give your give yourself some like comps, you know. This seems like perfect. You can hear what some school has to say, you know, they yeah. may or may not actually be helpful. But, but you're going to, yeah, you're going to talk to them. You're going to answer questions. And you know how sometimes like someone will ask you a question and then after the interview, you're like hitting yourself because you're like, dang it, I should have answered it this way. Well, now you've been given that chance to be asked that question, to answer it, and you can tweak it for the next time when it really matters. Yeah, Totally. I've thought about, this person continues, I've thought about reaching out to my top choice schools to ask how they view letters of recommendation from community college instructors. You don't need to reach out to them about that. They don't give a shit about that. They don't, they don't care. You're overthinking that part of it for sure. They want, they're not looking for these, these people who recommend you to be fancy. They're looking for the people who recommend you to unequivocally say, you're going to be a kick-ass law student. Yep. And so they need to these... know you, and they need to vouch for you. Yeah, yep. that's it. Yeah, except not be your family or whatever. Okay, yeah. anyways, <laughs> uh, hopefully that's obvious. I have two associate's degrees and finished my bachelor's in three semesters after transferring. However... Okay, two of these semesters were spent abroad, so I only spent one semester with upper division professors in my major from my university. 
I barely know them and and was lazy in my work because I had senioritis after seven years of school, even though I got A's in their classes. Okay. You definitely don't want (laughs) to. Don't say any of this. Yeah. None of that is making you sound any better. By the way, this is one problem and this is probably why they love these one-on-one interviews. People vomit information. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing it right now. (laughs) Yeah. It's like you're talking to the cops. Don't talk to the cops. (laughs) Do not. (laughs) I can get myself out of this. No, you can't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Basically, my community college professors know me much better, and I was a stronger student in those classes. Great. That's why you should select them. You don't need to tell anybody why. But they are all adjunct, and some don't even work at the school anymore, so I'm wondering if a letter from them, presumably not on academic letterhead, Will be frowned on. No, it, nope. Can they Doesn't even matter. use letterhead? Need to have a certain letterhead. Well, with the LSAC thing, do, do does the letterhead even show up? That's a good question. Because you I'm have to submit the letter days. through, yeah, their system. Probably you upload a document, so maybe letterhead actually does come through. I'm Point sure some is, people want to show that letterhead too. Yeah, Senators. it just. Yeah. I, it, it just doesn't matter. This is totally fine. Yep. Yeah. This person continues, should I ask for the Zoom meetings with admissions reps to discuss this question or just forget about it? Forget about it. Also, what do you guys think about a letter coming from a community college professor? We've already answered that. Feel free to call me E. Okay. Well, E, <laughs> e continues, and please, for the love of God, don't nitpick my grammar. I'm stealthily typing this email as I work. I don't know what to make of that either. More <laughs> I like that. I, I like it when people tell us that they're listening to the podcast at work or just doing any doing stuff that's not related to their job. I, I really appreciate people who are um, stuck in the cubicle and, uh, you know, working on their life instead of working on their stupid job that they hate. Um, good job, E. Yeah, you don't need to care about this. I mean, you could still do a Zoom meeting with these admissions reps, but there's no way they give a shit whether you have community college professors or real professors or for that matter, you know, I went to UC Davis, which is a pretty gigantic um, University of California campus where it's real hard to get to know your professors. I mean, I had lectures routinely with 200, 300 students. The, none of them got to know the professor. You always had a discussion section with a TA, um, graduate teaching assistant, and that was really the person who graded your work and got to know you a little bit. And it's totally 100% appropriate to have those people write letters of recommendation. They're not even professors at all, but they did grade your work in an academic context. And so those, those are perfect. Um, also perfect to have supervisors at jobs, write You letters of recommendation. By the way. Yeah, totally. I agree hundred percent. Um, stepping back with these one-on-one zoom meetings, I think people should take advantage of them. And as you suggested, especially, uh, from those schools that they don't care about, I think they should be out there talking to people, just becoming better at, presenting their case. I think it's immensely helpful. Uh, notice what's be- what Ben is saying there. He's saying, go talk to these people just so you can get the reps, like working on your story. He's not saying, 
go talk to these people because they have good advice. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They, they're, they're generally not going to. I mean, yeah. I think at half or more of schools, it's like, oh, well, this person got a JD from our school and then never found like productive work in the law for whatever reason. They just never became a practicing lawyer, but they came to work for the school trying to sell other people the dream of mm -hmm. our school. And they, they can be super, super nice people and super, super smart, but they do not necessarily know what's better for an application. I mean, they want your application. <laughs> they are doing these for a sales purpose. That's the only reason why they're doing it, you know, yeah. because, oh, because they want to help you make your application stronger. They don't give a shit how strong your application is. They just want your application. Yeah. They want a big stack of applications and then they're going to pick the strongest ones. And so, if I were in, yeah. And if I were doing these and someone came and vomited a bunch of like garbage information at me, I'd be like, okay, there's gotta be a way to note that preemptively. Oh, it's, it's absolutely going to hurt you if you yeah. disclose something or like E did here with the senioritis and the seven years of school and stuff. It's like, Hmm. What now? <laughs> like that's not making yeah. you look good. So you don't you don't need to be. Not, that's not not like that's terribly bad either. I'm not saying yeah, it's yeah. horrible to have seven years of school. But you saying you were lazy because of senioritis ain't ain't doing you any favors. And I'm sure that people disclose way worse stuff than that all the time as well. Well, there's this you know? confession sense, right? When you're one on one yeah. with someone, people just feel like they can open up and oh, they'll understand. Hey, look, I had this DUI and really it was bad because of this. Which, how should I frame that? They're like, yeah, uh, here's how you should frame it. And <laughs> I've taken note of that. Well, officer, I just, you know, I had such a tough day at work and yeah, you know, I, I don't, I just stopped and had two beers at the <laughs> thing, you know, <laughs> you are convicted. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Pearls versus turds. Uh, this is the segment of the show where we take a bit of received wisdom with scare quotes mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. from the internet about uh, law school admissions or, or LSAT stuff. And we kick it around between the two of us and we declare that it is a pearl or a turd. Um, most of the information out there is very bad. Uh, right now, the leaderboard is nine pearls, twenty tur uh, 40 turds and 21 ties. And the ties are really also turds. So we're looking at a uh, run rate here of nine pearls for every 61 turds or ties. Uh, the, there's a lot of bad advice out there. So this is coming from Nebraska law admissions. Remember that these people are sales people. They, they, their primary goal is to get you to apply. It says, uh, the subject is your personal statement. Feeling overwhelmed about the application process. Want to make sure you're putting your best foot forward. Here is the first of several pieces of advice that we hope you find helpful. <laughs> Make your personal statement the best it can be. <laughs> period. They bolded that. That's like giving an Olympic runner some <laughs> advice. I want you to run as fast as you possibly can. <laughs> I was, uh, this was like 15 years ago, but my buddy Andy qualified for this uh, kind of big deal golf tournament. He's a really good player and 
I went to watch him and his parents were out there watching him. And uh, he managed to make an eagle on one of the holes, which an eagle is really, really good. Is that, a double, is, is that two under? It's like a double that? birdie. Yeah, it's two under par yeah. on one hole, right? Okay. It's a par five and he All makes right. three. Okay. Okay. And uh, it's an eagle. And <laughs> we're like walking down the next fairway and his, I think it was his mom was just like, Andy, eagles are good. Why don't you make more eagles? <laughs> I love the the innocence. Like, what? Why aren't you trying for more of that? Uh, yeah, we are. Okay. Yeah, Patty's Patty's very smart, so I think she was doing it with a tongue in cheek kind of. But oh, it was, good. Yeah, it was still pretty amusing. Okay, I can definitely um, see the moms though that are like doing it. Yeah. Wow, you got two under par on one hole. Yeah, do more of those. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, here. Okay. So now we have five. Um, there's. It's. It's a numbered list, which makes me question. Why did it say in the previous paragraph? Here is the first of several pieces of advice that we hope you find helpful. Boy, that sentence could have just gone, huh? Like, well, yeah, it wouldn't have done anything. That that added <laughs> nothing to the uh, email. Okay. Number one. Mm-hmm. Check the guidelines for the school to which you are applying. How many pages should it be? Hint, Nebraska law recommends two to three double-spaced pages. Uh, nothing wrong with that advice so far. Um, no. You do need to follow the instructions. So Yeah, that's rule number one of lawyering. It's not exactly like brilliance, but it's a solid bit of advice, I would say. Especially for all the idiots who break it, right? Like if you don't follow their instructions, that's not good. Yeah. yeah. Two, try to find a compelling way to begin your personal statement. Many applicants choose to talk about something unusual they've done that connects to their scholastic abilities and ambitions or tell a story that describes how they became interested in law. Actually, it says, tell a story about that describes how they became interested in law. So, uh, you know, and isn't that so obnoxious, Ben? Because I'm looking at it here in Google Docs, and Google Docs has highlighted the typo. Yeah. And (laughs) they didn't bother to fix that before they sent it out. Um, Yeah. They probably would have caught it if it, if their shit wouldn't have been so long, but it's just so long and wordy that then they give themselves multiple opportunities to fuck up. Uh, anyway, it continues, a snappy beginning grabs the attention of the admissions committee right away. What do you think, Ben? Well, I don't like this second example. Tell a right. story about that <laughs> that describes how they became interested in law, that's just going to invite people to tell origin stories, which are going to be young and naive. I still haven't seen one personal statement that talked about how they became interested in law that I thought was any good at all. Yep. I, I, I'm just so not interested. They're all, they all sound the same. <laughs> they're not, they're not interesting in the slightest. They're just, you know, I mean, it's always, oh, I've, I always used to negotiate my bedtime with my parents and they oh said, you're going to be a good lawyer someday. I <laughs> stood up for my so friends dumb. on the recess playground. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Or the plight of the downtrodden, right? Like you encountered some 
poor person who was getting the shaft by their landlord or whatever, and you decided to do some research on landlord tenant law or whatever. It, I, I don't, yeah. we don't need any of those stories. I, the first half of this though, many applicants choose to talk about something unusual they've done that connects to their scholastic abilities and ambitions. Sure. I, I, I like the part of that that says something you've done. I don't like the unusual part. Because that's going to invite people to think like way outside the box, and you don't need to do that. Well, I think you specifically don't want to think way outside the box, right? I mean, yeah, they want people who are going to like go along to get along and dutifully pay tuition for three years and not rock the boat, and they want people who are going to go to work in a law firm and be a good worker bee and make a lot of money mm-hmm. and never question authority. That's really yeah. what most lawyers are. So that's what they're ultimately looking for. That's the people who pay the bills at the schools, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, number three. Next, tell about experiences you've had or classes you've taken that either demonstrated your aptitude for legal studies or reinforced your desire to study law. Think about this part of your personal statement as a substitute for an interview. If you had the chance to tell the admissions committee about yourself, what would you say? Write those things here. <laughs> this is this paragraph is like a amalgam of random pieces of advice. It's like one thing is to talk about your aptitude for legal studies. That's a recipe for disaster. Oh, I have what it takes to research and write blah blah blah. Reinforce your desire to study law. Um, again, that's just inviting people to say anything that anyone could say. Yeah. And then I, it's asking you to imagine what you'd say in an interview. I mean, I, I, <laughs> this advice is just all over. Yeah, it is kind of random. Um, you know, it's supposed to be about you. Facts about you. That's what we're looking for. I'm not really inspired. I mean, I love ones. I love personal statements that talk about projects that you've done, work projects that you've done. It could be a volunteer project that you've done. It could be a school project that you've done, but like a sort of like an achievement. Hmm. Classes that you've taken. I don't know, man. We see personal statements a lot, Ben, where it's like, well, and then I took a legal ethics course as, as an undergrad, you know, yeah. or a, or like a business law course. I think I took a couple of those in my various, uh, and maybe took one in undergrad and maybe one in my master's somewhere. It, I gotta, I hate to break it to you, but those aren't real law classes. They're, they're like adjacent, but they're not really at all like law school. And, and you telling me that you took that class that doesn't doesn't really move the needle on my believing in you as a successful law student taking a class is inherently passive right you're you sign up and you (laughs) sit back and listen and yeah you have to get a good grade and that's going to be on your transcript but i'm i don't know it's interesting that they're asking about this i also i don't know Different schools, man, they may just be competing for an inkling of 
legal. Like, but think about paralysis. think about what they're yeah. doing here. Yeah, they're they're not. They don't. I mean, they might think that all of this is good advice, and there are like little kernels of good advice sprinkled in here. Yeah. But what they really want is for you to apply. How do they get you to apply? Well, they make it look easy, like you could do you could do it, right? Mm-hmm. So if if you're like a undergrad, you know, you're a senior in college, and you're thinking about applying to law school, you mm-hmm. read this and you go, "Oh, I can write about classes I've taken." Okay, cool. And then you just like sit down and write your personal statement, which that's what they really want. Yeah. The, these Nebraska law folks are looking for you to apply to their school. So they're yeah. giving you, you know, sure. I mean, this is their best advice, but their purpose is to make applying to law school look appealing. That's why they wrote this email in the first place. Yeah. It's a marketing letter. So sure. There might be little k- kernels of good advice here, but I don't think writing about your classes is and certainly not why do you want to study law? I, I really don't buy that. Um, number four, it also never hurts to include some things that you know about the school or specific faculty members to show that you've done your research and that you truly want to apply to this school. <laughs> this is all in caps. A little subtle flattery is always a nice touch. Stating why you want to attend the school to which you are applying is a solid way to wrap up your essay. Oh, geez. What? What's your concern, Ben? Well, people are going to just have those generic closing sentences that say, like, for these reasons, this is why I want to apply to X law school. Right. Which will best help me accomplish my goals, blah, blah, blah. And Right. Or they Google like one fact about the school, you know, and it's like, put that into their personal statement. The per, the name of one professor. Put I'm, that I'm into excited about this statement. clinic, which they then misspell. Um. <laughs> there would never be any need to do this with a school like Nebraska. I mean, what's, I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I shouldn't be shitting on Nebraska law. I don't know anything about them, but I'm sure they're just a fine Midwestern regional school, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to lsatdemon.com slash scholarships and I'm typing in like a good GPA, 3.5 and a good LSAT score, 166. Cool. And I'm hitting submit and I'm looking for Nebraska. There it is. University of Nebraska, Lincoln ranked 76th in the country. According to our scholarship estimator, they will give you a full ride with your 3.5 and your 166. I don't think you need to flatter them. I think you need to show up with good numbers. Yeah. You know, (laughs) like, because if you don't show up with good numbers, it's not going to work out so well for you. With a 156 for the exact same school, scholarship unlikely, actual cost, $38,000 a year. That's a clear, there's, a, there's one thing you can do. You can work your ass off on the LSAT and you can improve from 156 to 166 and you can get yourself a full ride to a school like Nebraska. And you can apply to 10 other competing schools and you can use the exact same personal statement for every single one of those schools and you do not need to name them. You do not need to flatter them. You know, if you do, like it, if you're the type of person who's going to barely squeak in, 
because you've shown them that you're truly interested in this school, they're going to say, sure, welcome, you're admitted. And they're going to give you no scholarship. And, yep. you know, and that, that's not what we're about here at uh, Thinking LSAT and the LSAT demon. We want you to go. We want you to go to that school. Sure. If you're interested in going to school in Lincoln, Nebraska, go to Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah. But if you pay tuition at that school, you're making a huge mistake. Yep. No reason to do that. Okay. Five. Finally, it says, edit and polish your statement. Look for words you can cut to tighten your writing. Do a scan for repeated words. Check and double check for grammatical and spelling errors. Then have someone you trust give you feedback. That might be a pre-law advisor, professor, or someone from your career services office. Uh, I can't disagree with any of that advice. Um, I was thinking as you read it that this person need to to apply the same advice to their own email, but <laughs> yeah. Other than yeah. that, I mean, yeah, this is good stuff. You should talk to people. I I don't. I don't know about this last group, pre-law advisors, professors, or someone from your career services office. I'm, I'm afraid they're going to give you bad advice, but at the same time, I'm not opposed to people like just hearing what other people have to say. You just have to be good at deciding what's the real takeaway. What are they really saying? And I don't I, know if people are good at that. I would, I would get, I would get feedback from somebody who's going to be a dick about it. Yeah. Like who, you know, and, and so that's what we do on the show when we read per people's personal statements, right? We just shred the shit out of it, but that's because it needs to be shredded. I mean, yeah. I, I think you want your most hypercritical friend, like, and somebody who your friend who thinks they're the shit at writing and they actually mm -hmm. are mm -hmm. and who is not going to pull any punches on. Yeah how bad your personal statement is. And I just don't think that, you know, pre professors, like I think your professors are mostly going to just be like, Oh God, this is an obligation. I I'm busy. I got a million other things to do. You know, I'll do it to you as do it for you as a favor. I don't know that pre law advisors are particularly qualified. Like, I yep. don't know that they're critical enough. I don't know that they're good enough writers to really be giving that kind of advice. Same thing with career services. I don't know. Anyway, they wrap up with, uh, your personal statement is how the admissions committee learns about who you are. Don't be afraid to give them the goods. <laughs> also, Vomit. feel free to contact me. While I cannot critique personal statements, I'm happy to help by answering questions and giving advice, exclamation point. Um, you know, and this person is clearly fishing for reach out to me, ask me some questions so I can put you on my list and make sure that you apply to our school. Cause we need as many applications as we can get. Yep. Um, yeah. It, it's not particularly egregious Ben, but I'm voting turd. Yeah. I think turd is, yeah, I wouldn't forward this to anybody. I wouldn't say, Oh, right. Oh, let me dig up this email and, and send it on to you. This is typical marketing spam that comes from every school generic, yeah. boring advice that doesn't really change anything. And I imagine for these schools, and I, I don't know about Nebraska in particular, but most of these regional schools probably don't give a shit 
about your personal statement. <laughs> they are just well, they just want numbers, right? Like they want to like somehow move the needle. They're most, giving pressure. <laughs> most applicants use the exact same personal statement for all of their schools. Yeah. I don't I don't see the need for I I, I think it's about you, not them. So the whole flattery bit, taking all that wasting time to to name the school, you know, and then what happens when LSAC fucks up and um, sends the wrong personal statement to the wrong school? <laughs> if you only have one personal statement, you don't have the chances of sending the wrong one to the wrong school. Yeah. If certain schools have different requirements for their personal statement, like as I understand it, Berkeley really does kind of prefer a longer personal statement. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, then yeah, you might need a longer statement for that school. But I don't think you need maybe one shorter one and one longer one, but I don't think you need ever to name a school. I, I just, I can't imagine. If if they do want you to talk about your ties to that school, there's other places to do it on the application besides the personal statement. I think the personal mm-hmm. statements, that's where they're supposed to learn about you not you bullshit them about how much you want to go to their school. All right. You ready to, for uh, this brain teaser? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. So it says, on a recent episode, I heard Nate claim to enjoy the occasional brain teaser. It's I do. usual hyphen there. It's like extra long. Here <laughs> is hoping he hasn't heard this one before. You are hired by a grocery store to investigate a fraud perpetrated by one of five soda manufacturers. A, B, C, D, and E. Sounds like a game. Each of these manufacturers produces 12-ounce cans of soda. However, one of the manufacturers is deliberately underfilling their cans. Those dicks. (laughs) Yeah. Bastards. And instead of filling them with 12 ounces of soda... They are only filling these cans to 11 ounces. You are tasked with determining which of the five manufacturers is cheating the grocery store. Cheating is in (laughs) scare quotes, but I think they are cheating them. So anyways, you have a nearly infinite number of cans of soda at your disposal to aid in this investigation, and you must be able to identify the cheater with certainty. Okay. Let's assume that you cannot discern which cans are underfilled by looking at them picking them up, shaking them, etc. The one ounce difference is too small to be detected this way. Okay, this is where the, the brain teaser comes in, I guess. Yep. I was like, why not just open? <laughs> <laughs> Instead, you are provided a single digit scale. Single, single digital digit. scale. Digital scale. Oh, okay. I was like, single digit. Oh, geez, I got to <laughs> figure out something with single digits. A single digital scale that works in the following fashion. You can load up this scale with as many varieties of cans as you wish. Okay, press a button, and the resulting weight is displayed. That is, the weight on the display does not tick up towards the total weight. It is blank. You load up your cans, and you are shown the resulting total weight. That's it. Okay. Oh... And you can only use the scale once. After one use, it self-destructs. Armed with a buttload of cans in the scale, can you determine, again with certainty, which manufacturer is cheating? 
I'm not an I'm not altogether sure. Okay, if you want me to reveal the answer in this email, so by all means reach back out if you're interested. Thanks. But it sounds like you already know the answer. Is that correct? Yeah, are you gonna say the name of the person who sent us this brain teaser? Yeah, long hyphen John. <laughs> Ben's obsessed with John's keyboard, apparently has an extra long hyphen key yeah. on it. Anyways, thanks, John. Um, okay, so you can only, essentially the bottom line here is you can only measure these cans once. Obviously, if you put one can on there, you could determine whether it's 12 or 11, but then you'd have four remaining cans to determine, right? Because you have cans coming from five manufacturers. So that right. so would work. Well, it would work one out of five times. It would work one out of five times, right? It comes up 11, you're like, damn, I found it out with certainty. Thank you. I'll take my money and leave. Um, oh, Fucking yeah, we don't know how much I'm getting paid. But Columbo or whatever. Like, just magically solve it by <laughs> luck, essentially. Yeah. You would be yeah. right one out of five times. Four out of five times, you you would still have – you would have eliminated one suspect, but you would still yeah. have four remaining suspects and not know which one was the cheater. So, no, that's not the solution. Okay, and obviously putting, like, all five on there wouldn't work either because you wouldn't know which one was the deficient can, right? Yeah, if you put if you put one of each can on there, then it would just – every time it would add up to uh, 48 plus 11, 59. So you'd 59. be like, yep, yeah. one of them's cheating. So, <laughs> you would know with certainty that one company was cheating. You still just wouldn't know which one it was. Okay, so I haven't worked out the math here. So this, this is more. This is just more like a <laughs> a throw in the dark. But I'm thinking, if I put one, two, like if I put one can of one manufacturer, one of A, two of B, three of C, four of D, and five of E. Yep. Then, depending on which one of those was the deficient can, you could determine, right? Like, for example, if the manufacturer that only has one can is 11, then you could add those all up and the weight would be just one down. But if right. it's two, then it would be two down. Yep. You are correct. Ben Olson has won the challenge that John sent in, and that took you about 20 seconds to figure it out. Very nice. Apparently, uh, so John's an engineer, and this was uh, okay. like an interview question that he had yeah. had. Somebody had him try to wow. figure that out, which yeah. I think he, I'm sure, sorted it out as well. My solution at first, yeah, I had this whole complicated thing about opening up the cans and then like using the cans to refill the other cans. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it would work, but that's not the point. I think it, in the brain teaser, we just assume that we don't open the cans. When he, yeah. when John said, um, okay, but can you solve it with the scale? Then I fairly quickly, yeah, I, I thought it would, I said something about prime numbers, like a different prime number of each mm. variety of can. Yeah. But it doesn't even have to be prime numbers. It could just be one, two, three, four, and five. And then you basically just factor the result. You just like figure out how many 11s there are. It was weird because I was initially thinking I'd have to do like some, like as I was explaining it, I'm like, I'm going to have to figure out the average. <laughs> what would the actual number be? But you're, but then you're like nodding. I'm like, oh yeah, it's just two down or three down or four yeah. down or five down. Yep. Yeah. It's just how <laughs> okay. many ounces short you yep. are. Yeah. will tell you who's the, who's the, yeah. Actually, if you put one can of A, two cans of B, three cans of C, four of D, five of E. Yeah then I guess it's just how many ounces short are you of 
5 plus 4 plus 3 plus 2 plus 1. What's that? 15. So you should have 15 times 12. Mm-hmm. However many ounces short of that you are, will tell you yeah. 1, 2, 3, 4, or 5, which one the cheater is. Awesome. All right. Cool. That was fun. Yeah. Uh, I like this. Yeah, thanks, John. Uh, Sorry for your please, hyphen uh, bashing. But. <laughs> please email help at thinkinglsat.com if you think you can stump us uh, with brain teasers. That's a fun little thing to do on the show. All right. Um, here we have an update from a non-traditional student, 148 to 169, underrepresented minority. <laughs> and non-traditional. Okay. <laughs> the uh, first line of the email, full tuition at GW. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. That's what that says. It's a lot of exclamation points and it's a lot of caps. Yeah. Yep. It's conveying excitement. 148 diagnostic, October 2019, strategy prep and the demon in October of 2019, 163 on the official January 2020 LSAT. That's already a 15-point improvement. Hmm. Demon in May of 2020, then 169 on the August 2020 LSAT, which is a 21-point improvement. This is from an underrepresented minority, 46 years old, military, will be retired next fall, master's and doctorate in music with high GPA volunteer. Okay. Still waiting on decisions for four more schools, Berkeley, Harvard, Yale, Stanford, but yeah, haha. But whatever. I celebrate the eggs. I can count. <laughs> I don't know. The eggs could have gone in the more basket, with like... Bird in the hand, I think was yeah. maybe what you were looking for there. But <laughs> don't count your chickens before they hatch. Yeah. So what you, you what it should have said, I celebrate the chickens that have already hatched. I think that's what or we're the looking for. Hands on the scale. Like <laughs> I- <laughs> okay, funny story. One of my former students also got full tuition at GWU for next year's full-time program. Small world. Anyway, thank you for everything. Double exclamation point. Uh working on photos this week. I oh. have to admit. Yeah, she's helping us with photos. Yeah. Oh, I have to admit, not knowing my financial future has a deleterious effect on my productivity. I'm now good, though. Smiley face. I like that word, deleterious. The else I like that word, too. It means tends to reduce. Harmful, tends to right? Tends to reduce or eliminate harm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like delete, right? So it's like the delete key. What's the delete mm-hmm. key do? Takes shit away. So deleterious. <laughs> um, that is a good vocabulary. I've always word. imagined it as kind of like corrosive. It's like a negative takeaway, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not just trimming or something, right? Because trimming isn't necessarily bad. But when people say deleterious, it does have a little bit of like a stink to it, right? It's normally mm-hmm. like for the worse. Yeah. Um, Anyway, congratulations. Uh, we don't have a name here, but uh, congratulations on your 21-point improvement. Congratulations on your full ride to GW. Fine law That's school. <laughs> don't fucking pay for law school. Yeah. Go to GW for free. That's awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. Well done. All right. Hills to die on time? Let's do it. So this was uh, producer Annalisa's idea where we 
Discuss and debate unpopular opinions that you feel so strongly about you'd be willing to die on a hill over them. Like make your last stand on this on unpopular opinion, LSAT related or non LSAT related. Uh, do you have any Ben that you would like to propose? Oh, I keep forgetting to like add them. That's okay. Um, we have well, a few here. I think I'll come wanna... up with some as you, yeah, as you say them. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think they need to be many of them. I think we can do just like one. But um, okay, in the non LSAT realm. Uh, one of the first things I thought of was that uh, video games are good for kids and make kids smarter. And I believe this because of my own personal experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I, like my folks had like, we had a Commodore 64, Ben. Did you ever have a Commodore 64? No. It was like old school PC, you know, and nobody knew how to use them. And it was like, wasn't actually useful for anything around the house. I mean, I, I think my parents like tried to do their banking or, you know, like check balance their checkbook or something like that using yeah. some software, but it was always like super clunky to use. And it just does it, it actually, I remember it did have like an amortization schedule. Now, of course you just go on the internet and there's any number of tools if you want to do finance stuff like that. But, um, there wasn't back in the day. But anyway, the person who used it the most was 10-year-old me by far. And what I used it for was video games. And the fact that I had to just learn how to use the computer so that I could play the games, one. And two, the games themselves, you solve immense numbers of puzzles in these games, now, I'm not trying to say that like every single game is good for kids. And I, sure. you know, I don't think, Ben, you probably don't like want your kids playing hours and hours of Fortnite or Call of Duty yeah. or whatever, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of mindless run around and shoot stuff. Um, but I totally believe that puzzle-ish games are just so good for making kids figure shit out. And one of the reasons why I've always been good at, like, I just got, I, I developed the idea that I could figure out anything mm-hmm. and I, and I really do attribute games to that a lot. Yeah. So I'm willing to die on the hill that, uh, hmm. most or many video games, you know, the right video games are good for kids and you should like actually encourage your kids like Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild, your kids have switches, right? Yeah, they love that game. It's insane how big that world is. It's this immense open world with like challenges and puzzles everywhere, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's just like they want to get to the next thing. And so they're going to have to figure out the next thing. And that is giving them an education in a way that school is not. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it too much, but uh, I think you're right. I also think about Minecraft and when they make all these worlds and they, even in uh, Fortnite the other day, uh, my third was making this whole wall around all the other players and trying to keep them in. (laughs) And then they were talking about it in the car and like, oh, well, if they start shooting this, they can break down these things, but they can't break down these other things. And that's that's how I'm keeping them in. And I'm like... (laughs) is going on so yeah Yeah. well 
So that's my parenting advice from uh, someone who does not have children. But I'm glad that, Ben, you're uh, willing to vouch for my idea that video games make kids smarter. Well, I would I'd add to that, too. Just the other day, I, um, well, Maria was playing uh, Backgammon. Have you played that recently? Hell yeah. Backgammon's another one. That Backgammon was like my family game. Yeah. We would, we would be like camping and stuff and we would just play like hours and hours and hours of backgammon. But I started like kicking the shit out of my dad and all his friends at backgammon when I was 12, you know, like I, and that game is a really good strategic game, you know, game of which risks are you going to take? And there's a little bit of mathiness to it, you know, yeah. figuring out how yeah. you're going to use the two independent moves of the two dice. And then yeah. was Maria playing it with, um, was she using the doubling cube? No, that's the one part we need to like start. We just kind of started with, it's like we haven't, we've ignored that, but yeah. The doubling cube is awesome because it's basically a challenge to the other player, right? So you start mm-hmm. off playing for a dime. Yeah, and then you and one of the players controls the doubling cube. You're playing for a dime, and then when you think you have the advantage, you can pass the doubling cube to the other player, and they have a choice at that point. They can accept the double, in which case they just turn the doubling cube over. So now instead Mm -hmm. of a dime, you're playing for two dimes, or they can sacrifice the game and just pay off your dime. Oh, interesting. So if you're really getting your ass kicked. You probably should just surrender yeah. and pay and start a new game. But if you have like a, you know, it's something like, I think it's basically a one third chance, right? If you have a one third chance of winning, mm-hmm. you should accept the double. So with the doubling cube, it's like this assessment of how good is your position or how bad is your position? Yeah. And should you, should you continue for higher stakes or not? No, that's good to know. We'll start doing that. I, I was thinking about this because when you were saying video games make kids smarter, well, the same kid who is boxing people in in Fortnite really likes playing backgammon. He's like, you know, we taught him the rules and like, he's like, okay, let's play, let's play, let's play. And I'm like, uh, this is a good thing, right? Like he's having fun, but it's making him think. So then I went out and bought chess. Hasn't arrived yet, but I was thinking, I mean, maybe that's too much and they won't get into it, but it doesn't really matter. I'm just going to have a bunch of games and, Get them thinking. Have you uh, watched The Queen's Gambit yet? No. I started. Terrific. Terrific. I watched it all in one sitting. I just totally love it. I've played a little bit of chess. I'm terrible at it, but it's, uh, yeah, chess is great. But Backgammon is a, um, you know, it's similar in that it is a game of perfect information. It's Mm -hmm. all just out there on the table, right? There's nothing hidden in chess, nothing hidden in Backgammon. Yeah. Backgammon has a lot more luck Mm -hmm. and, uh, (laughs) <laughs> a lot of times it's just a, a dice rolling competition, you know, but that's yeah. where the doubling cube comes in too. Cause it's like, if it's sometimes if it's really close, you have to roll it all the way out. But if you're just pounding the other person, then the doubling cube kind of forces you to just quit and start over. Yeah. Um, cool. Queen's Gambit is an excellent show. Everyone should watch it. And, uh, yeah, board games obviously are also good for kids, including backgammon and chess. Okay. Um, Want to move on? Do this. Yep. Uh, this is a question from Prep Test Sixty Five. Okay, I'll let you uh, drive on this one, Ben. Okay. Question thirteen. Right. So this is Test Sixty Five, Section Four, Question Thirteen. It's logical reasoning, and this particular passage is being 
told to us from an educator. It says, educator, okay. reducing class sizes in our school district would require hiring more teachers. Okay, if we want to reduce the sizes of our classes, we got to hire more teachers to take on those students. Makes okay. sense to me. However, there is already a shortage of qualified teachers in the region. Hmm. Kind of sounds like we may not want to do this, but I don't know. Although students receive more individualized instruction when classes are smaller, education suffers when teachers are underqualified. Okay, so right now I see like this like scale in my head. Like you can get more individualized instruction, which seems like a good thing when classes are smaller, but your education is going to suffer when the teachers are less qualified and there's a shortage of qualified teachers in the region. So it sounds like we may or may not be able to fill those slots, right? So, but does that mean you shouldn't do it? Maybe the benefits from a smaller class still outweigh the losses from underqualified teachers, or maybe we get enough qualified teachers because it just says there's a shortage, but how many do we need? Do we have enough out there, right? I don't know. That's what I'm thinking. You? Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure where they're going to go with all of this, right? But yeah. I am thinking about, well... Okay, we we may or may not be able to get more qualified teachers, right? There are there's a shortage of qualified teachers in the region, but what if we paid twice as much as all the other schools in our region? Yeah. Or what if we recruited qualified teachers from outside the region? Yeah, I didn't even think about that. We got to point out I think to the to the students or to the listeners what we're really doing there, which is we're granting them their premise that there is a shortage of qualified teachers in the region. Mm-hmm. But then we're thinking all the way around that premise yeah, to say, oh, yeah, but what if we stole qualified teachers from other schools? What if we got qualified teachers from outside the region? You might say, what if we had a brand new training program that was able to rapidly get people up to speed? Get get them qualified, right? Yeah. So you're granting their premise. I'm not arguing with the fact that there's a shortage of qualified teachers in the region. I'm just thinking about ways that we might be able to get around that premise. Yeah. Ben was doing a similar, different thing. Ben was, Ben's attacking on, well, okay, so education suffers when teachers are underqualified, but because they were getting more individual individualized instruction, maybe it's worth it. Like maybe it's overall better. Like I'll grant you that education suffers, but you just said that they're going to get more individualized instruction. So maybe it's worth it overall. I don't know. We just, we don't know where that, what they're going to like conclude here. So, but we, (laughs) I think we both, are already thinking these things before we even get to the conclusion, right? Yeah. I mean, because you can kind of feel where they're likely to go with this, right? Like, we need these people, but they, we can't get them. Okay, it sounds like... it's. Or they didn't say they can't get them, but it sounds like, it sounds like they're <clears throat> saying that, right? There's and a the shortage, last sentence, yeah. Yeah. The last sentence says, therefore, reducing class sizes in our district would probably not improve overall student achievement. Wait... Overall student achievement. Now that's weird because that's ne- that's never been talked about. Yeah, you don't get to bring up new shit in your conclusion. <laughs> never. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, that's that's not where you're allowed to. You're allowed to propose as many premises as you want, and they can be 
new shit, new shit, new shit, new shit. And we're going to grant you all of that new shit. Mm -hmm. But when you get to your conclusion, no more new shit. The conclusion has to be exactly proven by your facts or else every lawyer in the room is going to tell you why your facts don't necessarily justify the new shit that you brought up in your conclusion. Yep. And here, overall student achievement, that was not what anybody, you know, we, we, we heard about education suffering mm -hmm. if the teachers are underqualified, but does that mean that the students don't achieve or they achieve less? Like their teachers might suck and the parents step in and students actually improve overall because they just, the teach the parents gave up on the teachers. Um, yeah. The classes are smaller, so they're still doing better overall. They're getting more individualized instruction. So maybe, you know, maybe they do achieve more. Maybe they achieve more with more individual attention, even if education has suffered. Yeah. You know, maybe the kids sitting there with their teacher realizing, oh, shit, this teacher sucks. <laughs> I'm smarter than my teacher. And maybe that's the best thing they could ever learn for their <laughs> overall student achievement. It motivates them to take action, which it, is all that really matters. So, I think people think that that's like absurd and it is, Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's not a good argument. That's this, ar this argument is susceptible to the attack of maybe people achieve more when they have underqualified teachers and their education has suffered. It's not impossible. It's still a possibility and that's our yeah. job. Right. <laughs> if you yeah, don't your job prove is... the conclusion, you failed. That's the, that's the high watermark. Right. Your job is to, defend your client, right? So sometimes your client did it. Sometimes your client has a shitty case, but you still should try to get them off however you can get them off. And so here, if the defense was able to prove that it's possible that overall student achievement improves when there are when there's more individualized attention from underqualified teachers and education is suffering, but the kids somehow miraculously achieve more. I mean, that's possibly how you're going to miraculously get your client off the hook here. Yeah. All right. All that question goes through our head in what? 10 seconds. Yeah. I like the, I like your periods. I remember when we were talking about the hockey periods and we were talking about yeah. the different like pauses that we take. Yeah. Yeah. As we read, we're pausing as often as we need to after every sentence, but we get down to the end of the argument and we go, hmm, new shit in your conclusion, grant you all your premises, but there's lots of ways that this argument can fail. We came up with names for those periods, but I can't remember what they are now. One was like predict and one was like, like Yeah, assess. it's like attack. Yeah. Yeah. Attack or assess. I like attack actually for attack, the first one. Yeah. I mean, I really want people to do the logical reasoning in an aggressive sort of a way. I want them reading this educator's argument with a chip on their shoulder. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to grant you all of your premises, Mr. Educator, but I am not going to grant you your conclusion. Yeah. You better prove your conclusion from the premises. Cause if you don't, I'm going to tell you all the ways that you could be wrong. And that's what you got to do in that first like attack phase. Yeah. So right. here are the five phases. First is to read the passage and make sure you understand it. Second, before you go to the questions, if you haven't already done so, attack it. Third, read the question. Make sure you know what they're asking. Fourth, before you read the answers, 
predict an answer. Yeah. And five, read the answer choices. Now, steps one, three, and five, everyone is going to do. Everyone's going to read the passage. Everyone's going to read the question. And everyone's going to read the answers. So to clear the deck here, focus on attacking the argument and predicting an answer. Yep. Absolutely. Those are the things you're likely to forget. Absolutely. Okay. So keep going. Yep. We haven't read so the question yet. The question is, which one of the following is an assumption required by the educator's argument? This is a necessary assumption question. It's asking us, what does the educator absolutely have to agree with? Um, what is something that they left out, but they absolutely need without it? Their conclusion has no chance of standing. And I would, my initial gut reaction right away is based on what we took issue with was overall student improvement, achievement, sorry, overall student achievement. I would say the, the educator is making assumptions about that. And I would look for answers that address that most likely. Yeah. And here I might have like a couple different prediction predictions, you know, because it's like for every weakener that I had for every, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? they are making a necessary assumption that this isn't true and this isn't true and this Mm -hmm. isn't true. Yeah. So for example, we, what if we pay twice as much and get all of the qualified teachers in our region? I mean, there's a shortage of them. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with that, but even in a shortage, we might be able to get enough for ourselves. So this person is assuming that we can't somehow recruit them through higher pay or somehow better benefits or something. This could be some like super swanky private school with unlimited resources and they could just pay five times as much as any other school in the region. And they could just get all the qualified teachers in the region at their school. Yep. So, so because that's a problem with the educator's argument, the educator is necessarily assuming that that's not true. The, the educator is assuming, no, in a shortage, we're not going to be able to just somehow poach all of the most qualified teacher. We're not going to be able to get enough for our purposes because yeah. of the shortage. Yeah. So they are assuming that, right? And, and they're also assuming, um, you know, uh, what we were saying with our attack of, uh, about the individualized instruction, like mm-hmm. they have necessarily assumed that individualized instruction does not always lead to an improvement in overall student achievement. Right. They have assumed the education quality of education is going to suffer. They're assuming that that means there's going to be lower overall student achievement or at least not greater overall student achievement. Yeah. So I'm sorry, I'm rambling, but the point I'm trying to make is that for every weakener, we could, we could phrase it as a necessary assumption. Like, this better not be true. This better not be true. This better not be true. You are necessarily assuming that this is not true, and this is not true, and this is not true. Yep. You're, okay. Yeah, you're assuming, assuming that those weaknesses do not exist. Right. Yeah. Right. So, and, and that's why, you know, we, we go on the attack mode first, right? We, we, we pointed, we poked all the holes in the educator's argument. Yeah turns out to be a necessary assumption question. And so we kind of switch teams. It's like, well, yeah, you're assuming this and you're assuming this and you're assuming that all of these weaknesses can't exist. All right, go ahead. Cool. So which one of the following is an assumption required by the educator's argument? A, class sizes in the school district should be reduced. Okay, 
I'm stopping right here. I, I don't yep. know about you, but this none of this argument was about whether overall student improvement should improve or people should hire more teachers or should get more individualized instruction. So I'm just done. I'm like, this is a whole different category of thought. <laughs> yeah. The conclusion was just reducing class sizes in our district would probably not improve overall student achievement. There's nothing normative there. That's just yep. like this would or would not happen. Nothing about should or should not happen. I, I kind of, I, I say in class a lot that the, that should is like the F word of the LSAT, mm-hmm. you know, like just something that like really pops out at you Yeah, where it's like, Whoa, should, Whoa, <laughs> hold on a second. Yeah. And we can't say that the author must agree that anybody should or should not do anything because the educator was not talking about what people should or should not do. Yeah. I mean, they're hoping that like the vast majority of the people taking this test probably agree that overall student improvement should go up, right? And they're hoping that you imbue that, bring that into this, and then start assuming that the argument is about that, but it's not. And they're also, you know, trying to trap you with not even recognizing the difference between would and should. Yep. Right? If you read this too fast... You know, I mean, because you, you'll get students all the time who will be like, well, but it says overall student achievement, <laughs> you know, in the answer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, yeah, I know. But it, it also says should. <laughs> and the author wasn't talking about what anybody should or should not do, which makes that answer conclusively wrong. I mean, this just, again, reaffirms the power of reading carefully and understanding, right? Like I so many times eliminated answers and never become even aware of the part of the answer that grapples other people and sucks away their time. Right? Because like, you're reading carefully and expecting answer choices to be wrong. A yeah. is wrong 80% of the time. And when we get to that should, we're like, yep, that's wrong. That was not what this dude was talking about. And so we get to do a shorter version of the test. Like we, it's, it's an easier test if you do it the way we're doing it, because you're just not, you don't have any time for bullshit. I don't care what yeah. comes after that should. That can't be, that answer can't be correct. Can't be. B. Yeah. At least some qualified teachers in the school district would be able to improve the overall achievement of students in their classes if class sizes were reduced. Uh, the, this is the opposite of what we're trying to assume. So. Yeah. We had to read that entire answer choice to get to mm-hmm. the end of it. And that answer choice is definitely like on target. Mm-hmm. It's just that it would actually weaken the argument. The The author does not have to agree with B. The author is yeah. hoping that B is wrong. Yeah. Okay. C, students place a greater value. Uh, again, I'm, I'm just stopping right there. I, I don't care what students value or not value. <laughs> Where did it talk about what students value? Where stu- students opinion of anything was never mentioned. So yeah. again, it's just real easy. If you, if you're going slower, you get to go faster basically. Cause you yeah. read that and you just go, no, this educator was not taking a position on what students do or do not place value on. Yeah. There's no way I can say the author has to agree 
with that answer choice, no matter what it says next. So yep. we read less than half of that answer choice and it's gone. It's garbage too. I'm not even like, it's not like I'm getting rid of it and going, well, maybe I'll come back and check it because I didn't read all of it. No, sorry. It's just wrong. Right. D, hiring more teachers would not improve the achievement of any students. Ooh, that's pretty, that's pretty strong. Um, the conclusion said overall student achievement, and I'm already like, the hair on the back of my neck is standing up. Hiring more teachers would not improve the achievement of any students in the school district if most or all of the teachers hired were underqualified. I could see some students' improvement or achievement improving, and then, but overall it's gone down so or not gone up. So I don't like that. Yeah, it, you know, question types do matter. Yeah. Once you've, once you've attacked the argument, it it is important to to know that this is a necessary assumption question. Necessary assumption questions are cousins of must be true, yeah. right? We're we're looking for something that we we know the author has to agree with this thing. Yeah. And with when I got to the word any, th- this answer, you know, the way I have it on my my screen, it's laid out in five lines, but the yeah. the the last word in the second line says any. Yeah. Any student in the school district. Wait a second. Is this educator taking a position on every single student in the school district? Why why can't there be one student who thrives in this environment? The conclusion was about overall student achievement, not about every single individual student achievement. Yeah. And so I'm it's it's that any there was like, well you you stopped. You were like, "Whoa." Yeah. Right. But that's, you know, you're doing it correctly. If that's how you feel about it, it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, if, if that word makes you nervous because you know that this is a necessary assumption question and you're looking for something that you can prove, then you're doing it right. Cause yeah, that's just like, ha ah, I, I can't vouch for that. Yeah. If that said some, you know, I would I'd have a lot more patience for it. Yeah. Okay. E. Qualified teachers could not be persuaded to relocate in significant numbers to the educator's region to take teaching jobs. Yes, this person is assuming that they could not be persuaded to come into the region and take jobs. Because if they could, then maybe we could hire them. That's the answer. Yeah, the author must agree that we can't just somehow get an influx of qualified teachers from elsewhere. Their premise was there's a shortage of qualified teachers in the region. Well, you must be agreeing then that we can't get qualified teachers to come here from outside the region. Cause if we could, then your conclusion isn't going to follow. Interesting. I think to note here that the, the overall student achievement thing turned out not to be in the correct answer. That's true. Yeah. But it certainly could have been. They could easily have written uh, arguments tend to have multiple necessary assumptions. Arguments have one sufficient assumption, the one that will prove them correct, but arguments have infinite necessary assumptions, various different ways that they might lose. Yeah. And the, they were, they're still in trouble. Yeah. The overall student achievement thing, you know, there's like E, even though it is necessary, it's definitely not sufficient, right? No. If you make still e a fact, mm-hmm. it certainly helps their argument. It covers up one of the weaknesses in their argument. But their argument still has weaknesses, which means that there's lots of other necessary assumptions. 
This is why necessary assumption questions tend to be harder than sufficient assumption questions. There's just many more correct answers. Sufficient assumption questions have one answer. Yeah. All right. Cool. I guess that's it, huh? Anything else you want to talk about on the show? No. Okay. Um, we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Um, just search for Thinking LSAT and LSAT Demon. We got um, two like dueling YouTube channels. Uh, both of them are pumping out a lot of good content. The Thinking LSAT channel has highlights from the show. The LSAT Demon channel has highlights from our Demon Live classes. So that's uh, all kinds of good shit from um, Ben's class and my class. That's uh, at LSAT Demon on YouTube. I'm on Twitter at NFox. If you want to find me there, um, you can leave us a review again, please, on iTunes if you're a fan of the show. Uh, email the show anytime, help at thinkinglsat.com. That's how we build our agendas, obviously. So pearls versus turds or uh, brain teasers or hills to die on maybe or, you know, just whatever. Any news that you hear about law school admissions, we'd love to hear all that stuff. Email help at lsatdemon.com if you have any questions about um, the LSAT demon, which, you know, if you like the podcast we really wish you would just study with us for the LSAT. Um, I, I'm convinced that if if you're a listener of the show, if you like our shtick, you're going to love what we do in the LSAT demon. I promise you that it's a better way to study for the LSAT. It's going to be more fun. We're going to make it seem so much simpler and so much more intuitive than whatever you're doing. Um, so check out the free trial of LSATdemon.com and, uh, we think you're going to like what you see. Yeah. That was episode 275 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. Yeah.